HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So beatnicky. <laughs> I'm still not used to it. We just changed the name of our show to Arts and Seizure from the Mike and Judy show. And the theme music has changed, although I'm glad the voice of Reed Paley is back. It's back. He's back. He is the, he is the voice of Mike and Judy. He is. He's more the voice of Mike and Judy than Mike and Judy. The artist formerly known as Mike and Judy. Mm-hmm. Reed Paley. <laughs> um, <laughs> his, so, available, his records are available everywhere, and he's super talented, and you should buy them. So, Judy, I missed you last week. You were out hunting ghosts in Provincetown? Okay, so... We thought we, we my friend Julie arranged a ghost tour. We like looked up all this stuff on the internet. So we went to all these haunted spots in Provincetown. So we get to the Unitarian Church, which w- used to be used as a morgue, and we're looking up at it. And Julie's telling me the story of it, and I see like this undulating figure on the left, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's a ghost!" So I like, I'm not brave, and I ran away, and so did she. It's very Scooby Doo. So, but then, then, then when my boyfriend came to town a couple of days later, I was like, I'm going to show you where the goddamn ghost is because he doesn't believe in ghosts. <laughs> so we went back to the Unitarian Church during the day, and there's a rainbow wind, wind sock there on the side. So a it was, rainbow wind sock. <laughs> you ran. It was actually, Spiro called it the ghost of gay pride past. Anyway, <laughs> but enough about my vacation. I'm really excited about our guest today. Danny Bland, who has played and worked with some of the scariest bands imaginable, much scarier than your... 
Uh, Rainbow Windsock. <laughs> uh, about an equal to. <laughs> so, and Danny Bland, we're celebrating your brand new novel, In Case We Die. And, of course, you uh, played and worked with the Dwarves and uh, the Super Suckers and lots of sub-pop bands over the years. And we're glad to have you here. Well, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. We had a, we had a killer gig uh, Thursday night at Manitoba's Bar. Um, Danny read from his book, and um, it was quite charming and funny. And that was a real beat happening. It was. How's the book tour going? You've been uh, chewing up the map. It's, You've been everywhere. Yeah, it's been going great. I, I, I went down the West Coast first, and now I'm uh, fully ensconced in the, uh, in the East. I'll be... Um, here I'm going to Boston on, or, or excuse me, Peabody, uh, Massachusetts on Monday, and then I'll be back here in Brooklyn at Book Court on Tuesday, seven o'clock. That's great. Did your um, your your uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> You're a tour manager for all these bands. Did you just like arrange your book tour like? No, pulling in fi- you didn't. No, Fantagraphics. Did. Oh my God, you have a book company. You did a book tour for you. <laughs> Can you believe it? Now I'm green with envy. <laughs> this, this is uh, we heard a lot. You know, um, most authors come on. They want to bitch about their publicists and their publishers for not setting it up. And I mean, you're a punk rock guy. You're DIY, and right. your tour is like so happening. You're hitting so many more cities. The most authors. Do you know? I mean, you know, problem with the business is there's two kinds of authors: the guys like you and Judy and I, I think, kind of hustle. But then they're the people who sit on their couch and wait for their publicist to get them on Oprah. Yeah, you know, and you're out there doing it. It's great. Well, and I had a lot of help. My 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 tale of woe as an author is not a tale of woe at all, and oh. it's most infuriating to most <laughs> writers. So. I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, you've heard. I it, kind huh? of don't tell it very often. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. It's good to know. I mean, I, my hopes were so dashed. You know, I'm writing. A- I could tell you the story of how I got this book published. It would infuriate you. Please <laughs> do. Infuriate also, away. you have a great publisher, Fanographics, yeah. usually known for comics. I love them. Yeah. Tell us how you got the book published. First well, time author novel. First time author. First novel. Wrote it. So you know that <laughs> part happened. So you wrote it before you sold it. Well, yeah, 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 and then and then I sent it in, and I always, uh, as soon as I got done, I I thought of Fantagraphics right away because it's such a, a Seattle centric mm-hmm. book, and uh, and uh, you know they're the, the the biggest. Well, I don't I don't know of any bigger publisher that actually lives in Seattle or works out of Seattle. I'm sure there there probably is. But There's it, other most, publishers there, but I think that yeah. they're the biggest. No, Fantagraphics is the most notorious one. Absolutely Rolls Royce. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously known for comic books and graphic novels, right. and I mean, the great artists that have come out on Fantagraphics, and to see them doing a novel, I mean, immediately, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, when you used to work for your Sub Pop, what Sub Pop used to be, yeah. you knew you could buy it based on the label. Exactly. Which is kind of an old school way of doing things. We don't buy something because it's on Random House, but you would buy something that was on Stax Vault Records, Stax Records. Yeah. You know, you'd buy something that was on Impulse or Blue Note. And Fantagraphics, you know you're getting quality. I think it's fantastic. It's, that's, publishing is missing that. Yeah, you know it's going to look fantastic at least. Yeah, it does. That's what they do. But um, so I have uh, I have a manager, this woman named Rachel Flotard, who's universally beloved, and that's why I work with her, because I'm not so often. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm taking notes on this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, so the first beloved. place we sent it to was, was Fantagraphics, and they loved it, and they published it. So, yeah, and they got it everywhere. I mean, and they got it everywhere. Yeah. Are do they have many other novels? I don't. They have a f- yeah. They have they've been uh, doing novels. Um, uh, here I am dropping the ball and not being able to name any of them right now. But oh. uh, that's because I'm selfish and, and self-centered. And don't <laughs> the only it. novel that really matters is in case the we die. The latest one they put out is in case we die. And also, a man after my own heart, you uh, went the distance in producing this audio CD, not your normal audio book. 
Right. Um, this is a cavalcade of stars. I mean, look at the people who are on here. Dave Alvin, Greg Dully, Duff McKagan, um, Lee Ving, Wayne Kramer, Mark Arm, Eddie Spaghetti. I mean, lots of sub-pop people, people from the um, Super Suckers and your friends, but also Steve Earle. We're going to hear a little bit of that later. Dave Alvin. You work with Dave Alvin a lot, too? Yeah, I'm, I'm his tour manager and, and primarily been working with him for the last, I don't know, eight eight years? Let's go back for a second. Let's okay. go. Let's go way back. I want to talk about back. the dwarves. Okay. And I thought we'd spin a dwarves track for all the uninitiated who uh, <laughs> haven't been privy to the dwarves experience. Thought we'd uh, give them a, give them a blast and let's talk about just what the hell happens on a dwarves tour. Well, in the dwarves tour, it's funny because I was uh, I was in a band called the Best Kissers in the World in Seattle. That's a lot to live up to. And. Uh, um, <laughs> Did you like, have a kissing right booth? Now. Did you have a right kissing now. booth? Was that like your merch tables like a kissing booth? <laughs> we uh, and uh, so I was uh, I was invited to leave the band and go to treatment center because I was completely out of control and, and it was the right move to make at the time. But while I was in the treatment center, about two weeks in, I got a call uh, from Blag, who was a friend of mine, and you know I was I tour managed them and sold merch for them at times, and he said, "When you get out of the treatment center, come to San Francisco and join the Dwarves." And uh, at the time, that that was like someone calling and asking <laughs> to join the Rolling Stones because they were my favorite band in the world. Yeah, I love the Dwarves too. Uh, they were always great, but asking you to come out of rehab to join the Dwarves, <laughs> right? I mean, was was that on like the scheduled? You know, the, the recommended. <laughs> no, it's probably. I don't recommend it to everybody, but uh, uh, the and and you know you have to you 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 talk to your counselors about everything, and so I didn't. And my counselors were not hip to the dwarves. They probably thought you were going to. But they said, you, if you're going to go join a, a group and get a job as a musician, then that's probably a good thing. And they they signed off on it. But like I said, I don't. They, they couldn't. They, it wasn't. It was '92, so it's not like they could have googled the dwarves and found out what they were. So up. they probably never heard skin popping slot. No, no, they they. I, I don't think they had blood blood guts. In Tell you what, hey Joe, why don't you spin? Uh, what do we have queued up, uh, Danny? Everybody's girl. All right, why don't we spin the dwarves? Here we are, arts and seizures. Sharing a different world And all these TV emotions Making a 
People take their first bite of Jesus Christ. This is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like magic. The punk rock goes on. The pizza arrives. Yeah, and it's like the stinky cheese extravaganza of deliciousness. And that's it. That's arts and seizure paid for with pizza. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a pizza fucked a, a fettuccine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Pizza yeah. fucked a fettuccine. Well, that sounds like a dwarf sor- song in the making. Yeah, I think it was from the second. Have you? Did you ever get to see the dwarves, Judy? No, I've never. I seen mean, them. Those, those shows were famous for nudity, violence, and very you know, ten minute sets, fifteen minute sets, and a bass drum would be flying across oh, yeah. the dance floor. <laughs> we never played for more than fifteen minutes when I was in band, and uh, I didn't get nude, but I, there was a lot. I participate in the violence part of it yeah <laughs> you're new to jason they, 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 no. the, the, dwar- the dwarves were great and they, they were really a th- they were they were a threatening band they were to me one of the last great punk rock bands because there was an element of danger seeing them wasn't sure who was gonna get clobbered with the microphone blag was a great front man also a great singer too it wasn't yeah, just yeah. up there shouting well we uh, anybody in the front row could get hurt or anybody on stage could get hurt <laughs> any show any random show and it happened often that was that was a lot of fun that last song um was not you know it's nicely produced they sort of went to like a little kind of a slicker kind of production because those first records boy do they sound rough and wonderful and i had nothing to do with that song i just it it's just one i wanted to hear so how long did you <laughs> last in the dwarves it's amazing that band was sustainable at all given the way their shows were going yeah, i was in it for two years something like that and you road managed the the super suckers for quite a long time you managed the super I, suckers. I, yeah i managed the super suckers for probably right i left right after i i quit playing in the dwarves um and we sort of had uh, planned out, planned to self-destruct, and 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 I carried on with that plan. I I retired because I was uh, I, I I since I was a kid and playing punk rock, I always said that when I turned thirty, I was going to stop playing. I don't know why, but I was when I was seventeen, it made sense. Right. And uh, so I turned thirty. And I said, okay, I'm retiring, and I went on to road manage the dwarves and I mean the super suckers and become their manager for. I don't know. And they mean, stayed eight, on the road. Those eight. guys toured hard all oh, the yeah. time, right? Yeah. Yeah, they still got to get my percentage. Of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you were involved too in the uh, earlier days of sub pop. Uh, we're talking before um, yeah. about uh, Nirvana and L Seven and um, just sort of like sort of the family vibe that was at sub pop. People bringing all sorts of people bringing bands in. Yeah, when when uh, well, I was playing in a band called Cat Butt that was on the label, and and I was booking some of the other groups. I booked the first couple of Nirvana tours and the first Tad tour and. And uh, uh, a bunch of other ones. And um, when we'd go out on the road, then and if we saw opening acts or were opening for someone interesting, we'd bring them back or bring their material back to the label and as enact as A and R guys. And That's amazing. I mean, they, they, how many how many people did you discover that way? I mean, we brought um, I brought uh, the Reverend Horton Heat, uh, the Dwarves, and uh, and L Seven. The, the those are big acts. I mean, right all now. of those bands, yeah, yeah. you know, were playing like large venues and they're notorious. Uh, Reverend Horton he obviously still working. You know, L Seven was playing festival dates and stuff, huge yeah, yeah. shows. And the and well, the the dwarves and, and the dwarves were like uh, because I was one of the few people that 
I answered the phone regularly at Sub Pop because I was a booking agent, so I needed to talk on the phone. Then they, uh, Blag actually contacted me first, and then we became friends. And then as soon as we, I brought them up for their first Seattle show, which was uh, a plane at this thing, playing at a, a big Sub Pop festival. And this is how this is how cocky we were at the time that we threw a two night festival uh, in Seattle, and uh, it was uh, and we didn't announce any of the bands that were playing. But everyone would go anyway. That's right. right. I mean, and we knew it, and we weren't going to tell you who was going to play, and you had to buy tickets to both if you wanted to. See. And we, you know, in the end, it ended up being it was the Dwarves' first show, and Dickless played, and the Black Super Suckers before they were even just the Super Suckers when they first moved to town, and Guar played, and in uh, the regulars, Mud Honey, Nirvana, uh, Tad. All, all the biggies. That was a magical time in Seattle. We, I, I was on uh, a tour in 1988 um, with my band Sharky's Machine. We were opening for Mud Honey and Soundgarden. It was right before Soundgarden got signed to uh, A&M, I think they went over to. Right. But Mud Honey was the band. There was pandemonium. They would play Touch Me, I'm Sick, and people would just go fucking nuts. We were playing these like, very big halls in London. We got very, it was very nice someone invited us to play you know, these gigs with them. People didn't really know who we were, but man, when Mud Honey came on, and Soundgarden was supposed to be the heavy, yeah. man, everybody, it, was a, it was a Mud Honey show. Still is. I mean, they just got done. Um, I, I crossed, uh, well, I crossed paths with them when I was in, when I was in Durham uh, on this book tour. They were just getting ready to play to Charlotte or one other North Carolina. Yeah, so music they're, endures. They're out right now. Yeah. Music endures. Getting back to your book for a second, um, I know a lot of it is auto, sort of sounds sort of based on your life. Parts of it. Um, mm-hmm. A bet noir. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> That's French. Why did you? It's, yeah. it's arts and seizures, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did you? Why did you choose to go novel instead of like um, you know memoir? Um, because I, I'm bored with rock and roll memoirs to tell you the truth and, really? and when my my musical career was not that i mean not that interesting really i don't think well not just the <laughs> musical career like the you know i know the rehab redemption yeah. memoir has kind of been done too but you know when it's done well it's done really well and i don't know i didn't they are i don't know i just wasn't really interested in doing that and i wanted to and and plus you know, I'm of the belief that if you are in the sort of toxic condition that I was in at the time, that your 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 attention to detail and dates and 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 the order in which things happen is going to be suspect at least. Well, yeah, and even when you're over forty, and even <laughs> right. if you were sober, it's like, what the hell happened? Yeah, no, yeah, when I was I when remember. I was drinking all the time, I had no problem remembering anything. My memory is is really really terrific, in fact. Um, but once I turned forty. <laughs> that ball dropped right off the table. I remember being at Social Distortion show with my friend, and I go, oh, I wish I'd seen them you know, a few years ago. She goes, you we did. did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, we do want to talk about your book in case we I die. Just, uh, I just turned 50, and I can't even remember what I'm doing here now. <laughs> <laughs> you well, need more pizza. Well, we're yeah. going to remind you. We have uh, to pick something from your the audio CD cool. from, from your book and uh, give everybody a little dose of In Case We Die. And this is uh, Steve Earle. Uh, reading. What's, what are we going to hear, Danny? Please uh, set it up Steve Earle's reading chapter. Which what is it doing? There? <laughs> chapter fifteen. Uh, oh, it's it's chapter fifteen. It's called chapter I, sixteen, actually, but that's okay. No, on the audiobook, but it's called uh, "I Am in Satan's All Perfect Love." All, all the uh, t- all the chapters are named after Rocky Erickson songs. All right, so here's uh, Steve Earle reading from "In Case We Die" by Danny Bland. It's Arts and Seizures. Chapter fifteen. I am in Satan's all perfect love. I'm kidnapping you. 
I looked up from the bench to see Kelly Thompson hanging out the passenger window of a navy blue Mustang that had just screeched to a halt in front of me, her forefinger aimed at my head, and her thumb cocked. I stood up and slowly put my hands in the air. Don't try anything stupid or I'll blow your dick off, she said, moving her sights from my skull to my crotch. You won't get much in ransom from me in that condition. She stepped out of the car and pulled back the seat, motioning me in with her spurious weapon. I climbed in back. It had been a long, bizarre night already. Why not see what else it had in store? A pretty brunette snuck a look at me in the rearview mirror from behind the steering wheel. I pushed a small mountain of clothes under the seat next to me to make room. They were all inappropriately high-end blouses and slacks, all the price tags still on them. My abductors were fashionable, don't get me wrong, but these ensembles didn't seem to be their style. You ladies been up to no good? I asked, thumbing through their obviously ill-gotten plunder. If you must know, we're on a crime spree. They both broke into laughter. Who's your friend? I asked, leaning over the seat to get a better look at the driver. By way of introducing yourself, I believe she said, Shut up and give us your cigarettes or you'll be hogtied in the trunk. I pulled out a smoke and tossed the rest of my pack between the front seats. There you go, ladies. I don't want any trouble. They were evil bookends. Green eyes made even more stunning by the overcast day and blood-red lipstick matching black leather jackets, freckled pale skin. Not twins, but a diabolical gang of two. Stereophonic, heartbreaking, home-wrecking soul-crushers. I put on my aviators as I sat back and watched the rest of the world go to work. I favored this life lived upside down. It was true, and that's why I hated to think of something changing, not coming back. Day was my night. Yes, bad was my good and wrong my right. But upside down has a continual need to perpetuate. Behind my shades, I was teetering on the edge of going further, off balance and unsure, yet relaxing in the gray area between a bad situation and a good time as if it were the most natural thing in the world. That was great. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's really, really, yeah, really top flight. It's such a lost art storytelling, you know, and it was such a, I think it's such a great idea that what, what you did here. I mean, the names on this thing are incredible. Besides Steve Earle, we name-dropped a few and the guys with the dwarves and stuff, but Amy Mann and Mark Maron. Uh, Damien Eccles is on here, John Sinclair. Yeah. I mean, John Sinclair, <laughs> and he, he still does the spoken word thing. Have you seen him do his thing? It's fantastic. I've never had, had the pleasure of seeing him, and uh, I I met him, but um, it, you know, when I made my list of my usual suspects to, to record, and that would be the, you know John Doe and, and Dave and Dooley, I never dreamed of getting Sinclair, because he lives in Amsterdam now, and, and uh, but he just happened to be visiting uh, Wayne Kramer, and he dragged him in and recorded, and it's great. Well, you, you need a White Panther on your record, Absolutely. otherwise the literary world just will not take Absolutely. you seriously. <laughs> what, what have we learned from doing a book tour versus doing a rock and roll tour? I mean, getting this rock and roll fans out, or are you getting bookish crowds? Um, it's been, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a little bit of everything, mostly like, you know, Manitoba's, a bunch of rock and rollers, uh, and then... Uh, I got, uh, it's weird, you know, in, in San Francisco, I got a lot of, uh, um, 
more mature yoga class ladies <laughs> who wanted to wow were you want, part of their book club i guess they wanted you know they and the, the q a after san francisco was like a, i mean no that's portland i'm sorry 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 san francisco uh portland uh you know they wanted to, to discuss pornography a lot like an uncomfortable amount of time <laughs> and uh, um in you know uh, in in durham north carolina which i thought was going to be a bus because i don't have any friends there it was all uh, professors from the university and their wives or vice versa and uh, it was great and that, so you've that, been selling some books i think so yeah i mean you know the uh, that's that's the big difference between a rock tour and a book tour is at the end of the night i go collect uh, a big stack of bills on a rock tour at the end of the night with a book tour you just wave at the cash register on the way out the door and say oh, enjoy See you in a few months yeah, maybe <laughs> I hope. But that's why I love doing book. When I do the book tours. Try to do them in bars. Yeah, you know, because then at least if you bring your own merch, at least you can, you know, get cab fare home and keep the thing exactly. moderately sustainable. Because it's a promotional tour. Book tour is a promotional tour. You're not charging money at the door. You know, someone's got to foot that bill. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, I, I hope to do more. So. I think you're doing it right. I, I think it's great. I think what you're doing is very, very exciting, actually. So how did you hook up with Damian Eccles, who's going to be reading with you in, in Peabody, Mass, on Monday? I. Uh, well, kind of, kind of like everybody else, I, um, I saw the, well, I saw the first movie on HBO. They had a free weekend, and uh, they used to do that. They would, you could watch right. it on any TV for free. So, luckily, that that doc happened to be playing on the free weekend, and I saw it, and I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was, you know, but to me, it was so obvious that they that they were innocent, and I started writing to them, and uh, and we became. Uh, we became friends through correspondence, and then I had uh, I, I got in touch with uh, the West Memphis Three, or the WM Three dot org. They're the sort of official the, the website was that was uh, spearheading the their uh, um, movement. And I I was managing the Super Suckers at the time, and I just what I was I was calling them up, getting in touch with them, just to volunteer the Super Suckers to participate in whatever they had going on musically, as far as benefits and everything. And and they really didn't. And there was no there was no benefit record in the makes or in the works, and there was and none of that. So I just said, this is this is this is our job, and and we put out the first West Memphis Three benefit CD. And bef- but before I was going to do that, I wanted to go down and, and meet with them. So I went to the prison, and and uh, and we've been pals ever since. Yeah, and that record was very successful, and it, I mean the documentary drew drew a lot of attention yeah. to them. But that record, um, the record sort of sparked the, the the musical movement, you know, and just the the sort of it made the cause or it helped make the cause ultra hip and and uh, that never hurts no never johnny depp <laughs> well i think what's great and i think what's what you're doing right again um is that your book isn't living in a vacuum you right. know with this cd you know all these wonderful people you're connected to a lot of people and you're making it more accessible to a lot of people because i mean the truth is what we were laughing the other night you write a book and that's when you find out how many of your friends are functionally illiterate <laughs> <laughs> you know, or just don't buy books. They're not in the habit yeah. of of buying books. Like you said, they expect to get everything for free. They expect to get handed a CD or download it. But you're reading, you know, a book's, you know, it's a hardcover thing and you sign it. I'm, I feel like great buying your book. I'm supporting it. You know, and I try to, when I go to readings, I always try to buy the person's book because you and I, Judy and, and Danny, we are that person. 
You know, but I, I hate it when people come and fill the room and you put on a show and you entertain. And especially the people, like I said, who ask the most questions at the <laughs> Q&A, if you're doing a Q&A in a legit bookstore. They're the ones who always walk out. They're always like, you know, like somebody really living on the margins. Right. And they want to take the most of your time. I, this, it, back to that Portland uh, thing, I also had a, uh, a it, but it was obviously a, a very pungent uh, homeless fella came in and sat right up front. And he asked the most questions, even more than the, the yoga ladies. And, of course, he had no intention of buying anything. And matter of fact, I suspected that he was an undercover cop for a while because he asked about the crime element of the, of the book a lot. <laughs> Statute of limitations yeah, exactly. is up. I don't, who knows? <laughs> well, it's a book, it's a work of fiction. Right. Is there a disclaimer in the front of the book? I hope so. This is a work of fiction, no person, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, we talk a lot about on the show about how New York has changed over the years. Yes. And um, it's not the same New York. Dude, where's my New York, we kind of call it. Um, you've been in Seattle for a long time. Surely it's changed, especially since the heyday of um, that whole grunge thing. Um, but Seattle's became a destination. Well, yeah. And uh, the, I mean, how, it, how it's changed most obviously to me is it's cleaned up i mean it's yeah. really nice down there in the in the you know the, the porn shop that i used to work at uh is now a uh, uh deja vu so it's like a cleaned up nicer version of what what i used to work at and the the neighbor the surrounding neighborhood which was just crack and heroin central is now kid friendly and so, Lusty Lady closed like a couple Lusty weeks Lady ago closed right? and the the marquee from the Lusty Lady is in the Seattle Art Museum so <laughs> and those poor lusty ladies are out of work, you know. It's just lusty ladies are never out of work. Sure, <laughs> there's always a job for lusty ladies somewhere. As ever, Judy, it's been the fastest half hour on the internet. Daddy, remind us again where we can uh, come see, you, where everybody can come see you read and uh, find your book and find you on you can, the interweb. Yeah, you can come see me at Book Court in Brooklyn on Tuesday, the first at seven p.m. And then, uh, yeah, just Google my name; it all comes up. You'll find me. All right, on. We're going to go out with a super sucker song, uh, something that you wrote, right? Correct. Um, a song called Hungover Together that I uh, literally woke up hungover and I had the lyrics written down next to me on a scrap piece of paper. All right, on. <laughs> Arts Thanks. and Seizures. Thanks so much for coming to see us. Clean Thank since you. 2 p.m. Thanks See you much. next week. <laughs> <laughs> listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.